This is In the Studio with Michael Card. Welcome to this week's program. I'm Wayne Shepherd, And Michael, I look forward to every program, but I can't wait to get on the air with this mm. broadcast today. What's happening? Well, uh, as you know, we're going to hear one of your songs, your new songs today, Sea of Souls. Uh, Dave Mullen's going to drop by mm-hmm. later. Uh, Dave, a songwriter, producer. He's an interesting guy. He really is. Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking to Dave. And then a couple of friends from the Nashville Rescue Mission will join us today. We'll talk about you know, meeting needs in that way. Oh, it'll be great to hear from that ministry. And we'll have a listener email to share with everyone here. So we've got a full program mm. ahead for today, and we're going to open the scriptures in a few moments. We don't often talk about geography on our program, but we're going to look at the Sea of Galilee here mm-hmm. today and its centrality in scripture. So this will, this will be fun. You can mm-hmm. see why I'm excited about this program. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm excited about your new CD, A Fragile Stone. And one of the songs on there that we're going to hear right now, I'm going to ask you to sing for us, is Sea of Souls. We've got Pat Flynn here to accompany you mm. on the guitar, and uh, you're going to sing that and play the banjo for us on this song as well, right? Right. I have it all right now, all the instrumentation is right? <laughs> That's right. Okay. All right, let's get started. Michael Card and Sea of Souls. I will not forget the nights so dark and cold. And with the dawn he rose in view and filled our nets and my soul too. The fisher king, our rendezvous upon the sea of souls. Upon the sea of souls. We ride the tides of time. And Jesus shouts, Behold, you stand beside the sea of souls. I left my nets and boats behind to follow him so I could find a way to cast a different line upon the sea of souls. On the sea of souls, we ride the tides of time, and Jesus shouts, Behold, you stand beside a sea of souls.
All right, thank you. That's Michael Card here in the studio with his song Sea of Souls. And speaking of seas, we're going to look at the Sea of Galilee here mm-hmm. today. Yeah, Luke, uh, who had actually sailed on the Mediterranean, interestingly, he never calls it the Sea of Galilee. He always calls it the lake because <laughs> uh-huh. if you've been on a real sea, yeah. you know that this isn't, isn't one. Uh-huh. A little interesting detail. I don't know if you care about that or not. Okay, Wayne, we're going to look at uh, the first miraculous catch of fish. There are two, mm-hmm. uh, one in John and one in Luke. We're going to look at Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. Now, as you read this text, there is a glaring omission, and I want you to uh, determine mm. what has been left out. Mm, you're going to put me on the spot okay, here today. Yep. Huh? Here's okay, here's the test. i think and read at the same that's time. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. That's pretty demanding, Michael. Oh, you can do it. Come on. <laughs> Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat on the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets, and you will catch many fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, we will try again. And this time their nets were so full, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O Lord, please leave me. I am too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the size of their catch, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they had landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I don't know. Seems pretty complete to me. I'm not sure what's missing. Okay, now let's. One day, as Jesus was preaching, mm-hmm. what's left out? <laughs> I don't know what you're getting the, at. The sermon. Oh, okay. Where is the in, sermon? It's incidental to the story. Yeah, I mean, w- 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 Jesus is preaching. Why? Why hasn't Luke told us what he was saying? Okay. And wouldn't you say that's a pretty glaring well, omission? Yeah. I, yeah. Now that you pointed out. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and of course, I'm always I'm baiting you, but. Um, <laughs> I think the the point is that Luke understands that what Jesus did was as important or perhaps more important than what he was saying hmm. this morning. I'd never thought of that before. Yeah, well, I just I just saw that myself not too long ago. Um, yeah, where is the sermon? Where is the sermon? And, and why would he leave out the sermon? Well, obviously, what he did was more important at that point uh, to Luke's story than, than what Jesus uh, was saying in his sermon. This is obviously a pivotal point for Simon. Simon has listened to the preaching of John the Baptist. He knows about repentance. That seed has been sown in his heart. Jesus is going to call them to be fishers of men. But it's interesting to me that Jesus is the fisherman this morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is going to cast his net and catch at least four of them. He's going to catch Simon mm-hmm. and James and John and probably Andrew to Peter's brother. So I, I title this passage, Jesus the Fisherman, because he's, he's fishing for men. The sole fisherman. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. He's, Jesus is never going to call them to do something that he hasn't perfectly demonstrated in his own life. So before he calls them to be fisher of men, he's going to show, show them what, what do you do to be a fisher of men. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot on this program about creativity and Jesus' way of creatively getting into each person 
How does he speak to a group of fishermen? How do you move a group of fishermen? You take them fishing. <laughs> you take <laughs> them fishing. what they know best. And you catch a lot of fish. Huh. Yeah. And, and, and obviously he has found the button, uh, especially for Peter, because Peter sees this net full of fish and he is undone. Right. I don't know if you've ever fished that much, but when you fish a long time and you don't catch anything, you start playing games with God. Okay, one more cast. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I, if you if you're really there, God, if you really love me, you know, you know those kind of foolish <laughs> games that you play, but or at least the foolish games that I play. But uh, Peter is obviously uh, undone when he sees this huge catch of fish oh, because Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be even around you. It, he knows that that lake, at least where they are, he knows that it's empty. He has just fished it, and I don't know. Again, if you've ever fished, you know you fish a trout hole mm-hmm. for an hour. You know when it's played out. It's, yeah, it's, it, there's no fish in this net, and Jesus has just showed him that this this lake is full of fish, and he's going to do the same thing with people when he calls them to become a fisher of men. He's going to show them that that the world, and that's where the song comes from. The world is 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 actually a sea of souls, mm. and Peter is going to go out like Jesus and use his imagination and and catch people. And notice the transition. Now, Jesus is going to call them to be fishers of men, and one of the first things he does is preach a sermon from a boat. That's an interesting little transition. To use a boat for a pulpit is, uh, uh, I think, is an interesting uh, step. The other thing I, that, that strikes me in this passage is Simon, as far, as far as we know, is the only person that ever said no to Jesus. And sometimes I think that's why Jesus loved him so much. You know, Simon is the only one that will ever object or you know, no, Jesus, you shouldn't say that. Or even in Acts, the sheet gets lowered down three times. He says no three times to him uh, there on the top of uh, Simon the Tanner's house. And and even in this passage, it's almost a no. Yeah. You can catch Peter's attitude here in this translation. Yep. But if you say so, we'll try again. Yeah. And I think if you say so is huge. If you say so, because that really becomes the motivating force for the rest of Peter's life. If Jesus says so, he'll do it. Now, right now, he's obviously still on the cusp of of that life, but he knows it's an empty lake. Uh, They've washed their nets already, which is a big job. They've put everything away. They've fished all night, and there is no reason to do what they're doing besides the fact that Jesus has requested them to do so, and they do. And the nets almost begin to tear. This time their nets were so full they began to tear. Yeah. And there's this little hint of their their business partners. A, a shout uh, for help brought their partners. We, we know that's James and John. They have a fishing business there on the lake. And uh, and they've got two boats. Uh, James and John own a, own a boat. Peter and Andrew own a boat. And these are large boats, uh, boats big enough for all the, of the disciples to fit in and more. So they bring these boats over, and this is a lot of fish, enough fish to sink two boats this size. Well, if Peter, is, as it says, he was awestruck by the size of their catch, right. he's, he's a fisherman. He's seen. It's going to take a lot to impress him. Absolutely. He's seen catches of fish before. Uh, and then the wonderful passage, uh, Simon, who is the first disciple to be called, why is he qualified to be the first disciple? Is it because he has tremendous gifts? Is it because he's smart? Is it because he's handsome? Is it because he's well-connected? Is it because he's wealthy? No. It's because he demonstrates repentance first. He's the first one to demonstrate this kind of repentance in his life. And the very fact that he tells Jesus, I'm not worthy, shows that he's the man that Jesus Hmm. wants. And that, that's where we have to come to, I think, in our discipleship. No better qualification. Yeah, we think that uh, people are chosen because of their gifts. 
You're not chosen because of your, of your gifts. You're chosen because of the quality of repentance in your life. And Peter, it's, it's funny, Peter really asks for what he doesn't want. He's already spent time with Jesus. He spent almost three months with Jesus. Uh, and that, that first initial meeting that we have in the first chapter of John where Jesus says, you're going to be Peter. You know, you're Simon, but you will be Peter. And and he's seen, uh, Mark tells us he's seen several miracles. He's been by Jesus' side for some time. So I think that's why he went back out in the lake in the first place. Otherwise, if Jesus was a stranger, there's no way he would have done that. <laughs> but now he asks for something that he really doesn't want. He doesn't want Jesus to leave. But he is so undone, see, by this awareness that Jesus is uh, a miraculous person. And that will unfold as their walk together goes on, and it'll climax, obviously, at um, the transfiguration when he sees Jesus in his glory. It's an awareness of his sin. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I'm a sinner, uh, too much of a sinner to be around you. Yeah, it's an, and, and that awareness of his sin comes in virtue of the disparity between the two of them. Here is a man who does miracles. I mean, this is a miracle. Those fish were not in the lake a second ago, right? Uh, It's not that Jesus is a good fisherman or Jesus has better eyesight or is lucky or some kind of bizarre notion like that. He is God. He probably commanded the fish to come in the net. And he'll do that again in John 21. There are two miraculous catches of fish. And so what Peter realizes is that, that there is this disparity uh, between himself and Jesus. And in Judaism, uh, being in the presence of God was always a fearful thing, was always something that was life, uh, that, that risked your life. And, and, and the final thing that I'd like to look at is, is an interesting thing that Jesus does whenever he reveals himself in a new way to the disciples. He always says, don't be afraid. Don't, do not be afraid. Yeah, think of it. When, when he walks on the water, when he gets back in the boats with the disciples, he says, don't be afraid. The first thing he says to Peter, and after the transfiguration, he walks uh, away from that spot where the glory happened. He walks up to Peter and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what, though? Well, and, but, but again, in the, after the resurrection, the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. When he is revealed in a new way, the awesomeness of Jesus is something to be fearful of. When you realize who this man is, Kierkegaard says, in order to be a Christian, you have to know what it feels like to stand in the middle of a crowd, to point to a man and say, that man is God. Mm-hmm. And and when Jesus does the sort of things like this miraculous catch of fish, I mean, it's one thing to, to get, I mean, we're friends. You know, we, we walk together, we have meal fellowship together, mm-hmm. we go to dumb movies together, <laughs> but all of a sudden you become radiant I'm going to go, wow, there's something. It's going to set you back, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Or it you must walk... have set them back with Jesus. Yeah, you walk on the water, you you know do the sort of things <laughs> Jesus did, and all of a sudden Peter realizes there's this disparity, and it, and it makes him afraid because if God is anything in Judaism, he's the person that you're supposed to fear. Hmm. And when Jesus' divinity comes through, you should be afraid. But what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From be- now on, you'll be fishing for people. Yeah, because of who he is, we don't have to fear God any longer. Not that way. And yeah. verse 11, perhaps, is the, is the final capstone lesson for us. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Yeah, we left everything to follow you. And, and Peter loves to remind Jesus of this as the months and years go on. Lord, remember, we left everything to follow you.
Well, Michael, it's always fun to have new people stop by the studio here from week to week, and we have uh, a rookie guest, you might say. He hasn't been with us before. Yeah, this is David's first time with us, and it's a real privilege to have him on. David Mullen. David, welcome. Thank you. Songwriter, producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you even write movie scores, which is a fascinating <laughs> thing for me. Uh, your yeah. wife is Nicole C. Mullen. You guys, right. you guys have a lot of ministry opportunities. We sure do. We have uh, been doing ministry probably together for almost uh, 12 years now, is inner right? city kids and different things like that, huh. yeah, for for a long time. And that's kind of how we got to know each other and huh. sort of dated even through, like, doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the thing that always impresses Michael is you're, in, you're, uh, you're a songwriter for VeggieTales. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> Larry Boy <laughs> wrote the song Larry Boy, which uh, I think is a pretty pretty good credo. And Dave is also involved at the Franklin House. He, is, mm-hmm. he uh, teaches a discipleship group at uh, Franklin House. Uh, Dave is part of the Empty Hands Fellowship, was one of the original members when we met at McDonald's. That's Right. Years and years ago. Years ago. Yeah, and uh, was very close to Bill yeah. and studied with Bill okay. uh, before uh, Bill died. Well, Dave, you're such a creative person. Did uh, did you set out to be that kind of person in life, or did just one thing just lead to another? You know, I really didn't. Um, my life uh, was always football, 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 and more football. <laughs> and um, I went uh, to University of Florida and played there, and... Um, and studied physics. That was my... I see um, the connection with football, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was money, really. So it's like, you know, if that whole if that whole NFL career doesn't work out, I can, <laughs> I can be a physicist, you know. And um, I, I was flunking out pretty uh, badly by huh. the time I was uh, a junior. And I met Christ when I was a junior in college. Huh. And uh, I'd never been churched much as I was growing up, my mother took me to certain things, you know, church functions, and she even made me go to confirmation. I remember that that was sort of my introduction to mm. to uh, Christianity and and a, a real sweet pastor uh, down in Coleman, Alabama, which is where I was born. Mm. Uh, we moved to Florida when I was probably about eight and, um, mm. and uh, grew up down there in Ocala, Florida. Mm. So. Now, God, for the last uh, 15 or so years, has placed you here in Franklin, Tennessee. Sure has. And we've talked about the fact, Michael, that this is a place where God seems to call people to uh, this particular location. Yeah, I think David really was one of those people who just, you sort of show up and you say, I don't know why I'm here, but God has called me to be here. (laughs) It really was like that, yeah. Yeah. I I came um, uh, to to do a stipend program for Scotty Smith, who's the pastor of Christ Community Church, and then was... um, uh, a, a associate pastor at uh, Christ Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. and um, it was just a program where you, I mean, you got to study, and they asked you to work in a couple of parachurch ministries. But really, the the essence of it was the study, mm-hmm. and uh, they paid you to do that. You know, not much, <laughs> but they did pay you, and um, and I got by, and I just I really did not know why I was here. Um, in the back of my mind, maybe I thought I would get to do something, but I, I'd only written like two or three songs in my whole life. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if like one day somebody somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. recorded one of my songs. And I mean, people didn't even know that I sang. You know? Yeah, I, I didn't know that you wrote, wrote songs at all. In fact, I remember the first day we ever sat down in the cabin and you played all these songs that you'd written. And he came out with this incredible singing voice and all these and I go... D- Dave, you know, is that you in like, there? I remember that yeah. completely differently. Okay, really, <laughs> okay. I was so terrified because uh, Michael always makes jokes about how different we are, and anybody who knows me will, will knows that I always comment on the similarities between he and I, mm-hmm. even though the styles are completely one hundred percent different. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I, 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 as an artist, sang mainly like blues 
you know, type uh, rock pop type music. Mm-hmm. And 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 Michael would sing a song like Known by the Scars, but I would say, you know, pain is like a pair of Levi's and that you have to grow into. It's so it's faded blues, you know, mm-hmm. but it's the same idea. Mm-hmm. And we're known even by those things. And um when we sat down in that cabin that day, mm-hmm. I was going, man, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but these people are telling me that they want to give me a record deal. And, <laughs> and I just do what I do. And it's just different from the stuff that I hear that's Christian music, you know, and stuff. So, And I played it and he goes, well, that's certainly different. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was shocked because it was it was this classic sort of black blues sound, I, and I I, I I didn't know that you did it. <laughs> so I've always I've spent many a time pondering what did he mean? No, it was a, it was a compliment. No, it was a compliment. <laughs> well, I tell you what, he I said, well, what I really need is somebody to teach me how to, how to write, you know, and and um, and I'm by that I meant technique and. And um, he said he didn't do that, but he gave me um, his lyric book, you know, uh, which is this um, really old leather bound (laughs) kind of uh, journaling type Mm -hmm. book. And um, after I learned how to read it, because Mm -hmm. it was in hieroglyphics, (laughs) 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 Um, I mean, I was turning the pages and there's like, there's the original lyric for El Shaddai and all this stuff like that. I'm going, oh my goodness. And I just like was almost afraid to pick it up and I had it for about three or four days and I just brought it back because I was afraid I'd lose it. Well, But basically what it was was uh, song ideas and lyric ideas. And I said, just here, look through those and see if if that makes sense to you. Hmm. If I haven't recorded it, you you write music to it. Yeah, I said, said. use whatever you want. So would you call that a turning point, Dave? Oh, well, I think just the beginning of walking and talking there, you know, because Dr. Bill was so big on um, peripatetic type ministry, walking and talking with somebody for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. I wish I understood it better then because I could have taken even greater advantage, I think, of it at the time. But um, what the one of the original conversations we had was that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. And um, how Michael and I met was um, one of my parents, ministry things I was supposed to do for my stipend was to help with this uh, Bible study that he did at Vanderbilt University. And so um, I would go to that that John study, and that was just, it just blew my mind. You know, mm-hmm. I, everything, I was just going to help out, and, and but getting to sit under that teaching and, and hearing those things, well, that's one of the ideas that comes out of John, you know, is that whole uh, and it's in a negative way, actually. He's saying that bad things are coming out of the people's hearts, so bad things are coming out of their mouths and out of their lives, but also the inverse is true. The, mm-hmm. the, the good things come out of our heart, the seed of the emotions and the will, and, and that they work themselves out into our lives and, and, and I would say eventually through our music you know, and, mm-hmm. or your art. Mm-hmm. And he really, that first meeting that we had when I played in music, he really stressed that point again, and it was real a real place for him. It was a real turning point for me because I, before, I was trying to like, write songs that would make people tap their toes, I guess, mm-hmm. or sing or, mm-hmm. or, or, or feel something or and, and really manipulate them in, in a way. Mm-hmm. And I've learned so much about that, you know, that, that you can operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and write from the overflow of your heart, mm-hmm. or you can operate in the power of the gift. And both are, are very successful, but it's like, which one do you want to be? Yeah, there's a lot of people coasting mm-hmm. on their giftedness, right? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, talk a little bit more about what the impact of your relationship with Christ has had on your creativity. Mm. 
I just don't think I knew who I was, you know, until you start to see yourself through the heart of Jesus and through the eyes of Jesus. Um, your sin isn't as sinful. You know, you don't think you're as sinful as you really are, and you don't think you're as good or as righteous as God sees you in light of the atonement, you know. And I think that when I began seeing myself that way, for the first time, you know, I, it just gave purpose to a lot of things that I thought and did, whether it be um, uh, the, the girls that I was dating or whether it be, you know, um, just the way I lived my private life, you know, um, my own thought life, what was going on, the way I dealt with the scars that had made me, you know what I mean, uh, my past and those sort of things. And um, and I had a pretty checkered rough past, so it, there was a lot of things to work through, and Jesus really was the one who held my hand and walked me through them, and, that, and that's the perspective I wrote from. Mm-hmm. And I think that people that are my age, which is at the very beginning of that Generation X, you know, have a lot of that stuff. A lot of us raised ourselves. A lot of us um, um, didn't really have those parental figures, and so you're almost learning to be a child all over again, mm-hmm. you know. I know both of you are asked often, I'm sure, by young aspiring artists, you know, what can I do? What can I, how can I prepare? What is your answer to them, Dave? That's what I I basically tell them. They need to be in a mentoring type situation, you know, and I tell them that that you need to read. You can't, I I tell many people this, and I've seen it in print many times since by young artists who asked me a long time ago, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't be a good writer if you're not a good reader, Mm -hmm. you know, and reading, I think, um, I think if you define culture, you know, sort of like there's a guy, Henry Van Til, who wrote a book called The Calvinistic Concept of Culture. And he sort of devi- defined culture as um, like when our strivings toward God, our strivings to, to make sense of this world through the eyes of Jesus and through the heart of the Lord, um, that really is your culture, you know, and, and people will strive to do that whether they know that they're striving to do that or not. So that it's like to bring all of earth under the dominion uh, of God, but they lose sight of who they're bringing in under dominion for. And now they just want to bring dominion. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? They just want to bring power. So people are dealing with these things. If you look to the things that are the best things that were ever written, said, painted, or sung about, uh, as attaining to that ideal of, of bringing, you know, culture through, through the eyes of the Lord. Uh, those things many times will shape the way, help you to get there. I mean, you can really draw from people. You know, you can be mentored by like a guy like C.S. Lewis, who's mm-hmm. been dead, you know, forever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, this uh, football player has a very creative <laughs> and a very deep mind, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've done well. You've done well. <laughs> David, thanks for being with us. Oh, I, I appreciate it. Thanks yeah. for giving me and Come back. Come back. I will. And you're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. Before we pause for a break, I'd like to encourage you to take a moment and send us your comments about the program. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And if you'd like to hear this complete program or any In the Studio broadcast again, visit the archives on our radio page at michaelcard.com. Also online, you'll find information on how you can obtain a CD copy of Michael's new album, A Fragile Stone. Coming up after this break, we'll hear more great conversation and music here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Well, 
Well, Michael, as we continue today's program, we're always interested where God is at work. And we're interested in the testimony of people who are doing God's work. And we have a couple of guests here today to talk about that. Yeah, and, and when we look at the community, most often we find he's at work with the poor. Hmm. And uh, we have two brothers from the Nashville Rescue Mission. Yeah. Curry Womack is with us. Curry, welcome. Thank you. And Justin Matthews is with us as well. Thank now, you. Justin, how long have you been with the mission? I've only been there three years. Uh-huh. And what, I mean, did you grow up thinking, I'm going to work at a rescue mission someday? Absolutely. How did that happen? Absolutely not. It was, uh, I graduated from Belmont University. And uh, when I graduated, I um, had briefly thought about doing Christian music, but I had felt the Lord led me in, into another area, in particular in these gifts of, of fundraising and business, which is my end of the ministry, I get to help with the fundraising and direct mail and newsletters and things like that. And so, um, it's just been a wild ride, you know, you just say, all right, Lord, where do you want me to go? And sure enough, there was an interview on campus, uh, when I graduated and I met with a really great guy, um, named Clay Huddleston. And he said, you know what, this job will change your life. And Mm. I didn't believe him. You know, I thought, (laughs) I thought I'd be there for a year, you know, transitional job, just graduate college. Um, you know, I've been there three years and it's my, it's my heart's passion. You know, there's a proverb that says man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Right. Uh, I believe yeah. that very, very much. Now, Curry, you've been there longer though. Right. Um, 13 years has passed November 1st. Yeah. How did you end up at the mission? I was in, in school in Bible school in Pensacola and brother Reisner, who was the CEO then was yeah. speaking down there and I got to hear him and he told me about the anchor home and that was pretty much what I was wanting to do in the direction. So we, we flew up here and spent three days at the anchor home, and I just I fell in love with the guys, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just what that ministry is about. Mm-hmm. We talk about the scriptures a lot in this program, and Michael, as you said, you cannot read the Bible without understanding God's heart for the poor and for homeless and for the widow, and you guys are on the front lines of that. Uh, Curry, um, you must think about that a lot, and that must um, motivate you greatly. The, the first day... November 1st of 1989, the the first young man I got to meet was a kid named Billy. And Billy was there, 16 years old. His dad, traveling through, said, get out. Oh. I don't want you in my life anymore. Oh. And here's this guy, never been in Nashville. Left him in the rescue, at the rescue mission. Didn't even leave. He just left him on the street. And, you know, and it's <laughs> like, uh, you see things and you hear things, but then when you see it for yourself, it, it's hard to believe but here's this guy knows nobody, you know, has nothing, nothing, nowhere to go, no resources, uh, you know. And and we worked with that guy for several years, and his dad never, mm. at that point, had reentered back into his life, you know. And and I mean, it, we could go over story after story similar, you know. There's there's a whole different world out there that most of us are not familiar with that's going on, and. Mm. And it, and it will break your heart when you see it. And I, and I know it breaks God's heart to see. And yet, Michael, we have a biblical responsibility here. Absolutely. And, and, and more than that, I know, I know Scott Rowley, who's a good friend and, and is on this program a lot. I mean, Scott makes the point that uh, we have more to gain from being in relationship to the poor, really, than they have yeah. uh, to gain from us. I mean, we, mm-hmm. can, we can give some help and some uh, support. But in terms of really encountering Jesus as he, you know, who he is and what he means... Mm-hmm. You know, it's in the poor that we he identifies himself. Every volunteer will tell you the same thing, yeah. too. I mean, we have 13,000-some people who come through and volunteer in a year at the Nashville Rescue Mission. And they, um, everyone I've ever talked to says, I come there to get 
mm-hmm. more than to receive. And the Lord moves in my life and my children's lives. And um, but yet you talk to the men and it's the opposite. They say, I get so much from the volunteers. Mm-hmm. And um, I even have one guy um, who's actually now deceased, Nathaniel Miles, um, came through our recovery program and I could share his testimony at some point in time, but it's just this amazing life turnaround. He told me, though, when he got to the rescue mission, that first night after he literally lived on boxcars for 20 years, um, he stumbled into the rescue mission, and that first night he ate a meal at a rescue mission. He said, I finally knew who Jesus was because I was I felt like one of the 5,000. Hmm. I oh, was wow. being fed. Wow. And it just sent shivers up and down my back thinking yeah. about how much um, both mm. people get when God, you know, when we actually do what God tells us to do and we do serve our, our, our neighbors and our brothers there. Yeah. It's amazing. Wow. At the Nashville Rescue Mission, you, you serve men and women and young people. Kerr, you work with, with young men. Yes, sir. Help us know their heart. I mean, help us know them. What is that like? I mean, I think we have our stereotypes, but help us get to know them as people. Well, I th- what I always tell people is that each one are individuals. You know, and to try to put them all in one group, uh, you can't. Most of them are, are searching, though. They're looking. Um, by and large, and, and I'll say without statistics to, to in front of me, but I, 90% of them grew up without dads. Mm-hmm. Not just dads that were through divorce or whatever, but dads' career. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get guys from, Emotionally absent. Exactly. Yeah. We have men from the full economic separation, I mean, from that grew up very poor to those who grew up in a wealthy. Hmm. And, and and that surprised me. Uh, when I, growing up, I was thinking about mission. I always thought about a guy maybe that grew up, you know, out on the street, but that that's not the case. Yeah. I, I used to wash dishes with a guy named Bud whose father was an admiral, hmm. you know, had risen in the military. And of course, you know, wow. and there's Bud washing mm-hmm. dishes at the mission. Mm-hmm. mission. Mm-hmm. He had no place else to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are lawyers and doctors down there. Yeah. I mean, and there are people like Nate Miles who were I mean, he was completely illiterate. Wow. It's just everybody who you can imagine. I mean, they, they go to rescue missions when yeah. when they're broken. Well, just give an overview of all the all of the ministries that are offered there. I mean, from the travel. I mean, I don't, I don't want. To, I mean, I, I'd like to brag about it, but you know, you you give us an overview. Okay, um, I'll give the men's side, and I'll let you give. But we, um, as you come in, the first thing you'll see is our traveler's aid. And this is to assist those who have been stranded in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we get a lot of people that come to Nashville. They're going to make it big in, yeah. in the music industry or uh, jobs are more available. And they get here and they find out, no, this is not going to work. Um, the Traveler's Aid provides help to those. Um, and what percentage did you say, uh, you told me the other day, of, of those funds get paid back? Something like 95% of the funds. Actually, if we will, if we pay for a bus ticket on Greyhound or something and send them back to Michigan or wherever, I mean, within a year, usually 90% of the time, they're going to send back that money in an envelope. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. That is amazing. Hmm. We have the Barnabas House program, which is for men 25 and older. That's a five-month residential treatment program. We have the Anchor Home program, uh, which is also a five-month residential program for young men 18 to 24. We have a halfway house for the guys. Once they complete that, they can they get a, a room with a shower, refrigerator, uh, stove. I mean, it, it's just deluxe. I've I've never toured anybody uh, through the premises that they just don't go wow I can't believe this. And how important is that? Does that build respect or 
Oh, it's very important. And, 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 and exactly for respect to have a place to call your own, but also uh, just to get your feet under you. You know, once you complete that program, uh, to build up some resources. Many of the men, because of choices they've made, have an extensive amount of bills that they've got to repay. And so just turning them back loose would, they're going to come right back. It'll because overwhelm they have, them, sure. Exactly. Hmm. Um, we have a transient shelter that, that's open to anyone uh, that comes in. Uh, we provide food. We provide clothing. We have physicians who volunteer their time. We have a, just a super great group of doctors, hmm. local, who come in every week and donate their time. Um, we have uh, a cha- and chapel for those men. Chapel. Yeah. We have chapel services. We have uh, <clears throat> spiritual counseling available. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, on and on. We There's have larbers coming in. Here. Mental yeah. health dormitory. Uh, we have mental health dormitory there for those that have uh, mental disorders. And that's a co-op with uh, the mental health co-op of Middle Tennessee. And we actually provide the facility free of charge for them. And what, what they do is partner with us. So mm. somebody who has been placed into a state-run mental health institution, there's this revolving door problem yeah. where somebody gets, quote, medically stable. And by law, they're then put back out on the street. Well, like Curry was saying uh, with our transient shelter, I mean, if you have no family, no friends, no money. You've got a plastic bag full of 30 days worth of medicine. What are you going to do when yeah. you're now, quote, medically stable? You're either going to sell that medicine that right. you're supposed to take and then slip back into some form of, of mental illness, or you're going to end up at the homeless shelter or what, yeah. you know, whatever the parameter. So that's why we kind of try and kick our heel in that revolving door and say, okay, this has got to stop, hmm. and it's got to stop here. And so it, it's a really neat partnership. Well, we have men who come to us who need help. With mental illness and the the state, the the city, the state, the you know, um, all of the institutions here have places that they know they can contact. Say, okay, Bob, you don't have anybody. Okay, let's call down to the Nashville Rescue Mission. They've got a partnership with the health co-op and. Well, you guys and all those mm. who work with you are doing so much that we don't even think about as we go about our lives. What are what are some of the other ministries? I don't complete that list. Yeah, now that was the men's side. And then the women's side is similar to that. Now, the, the Rescue Mission never wants a woman to make a choice between her recovery and her children. Mm. So we have facilities, and I think this is unique to the Rescue Mission, uh, at least on the scope and size, um, for children and, and the mothers. So there's the Family Life Center which is the transient portion of the ministry, both for women and children. We have a playground and we have classes. It's, it's, it's a little bit more residential than the men's recovery program because the needs of the women sure. are so great. Understandable. And, and a side note to that is we've actually, this month, we're seeing more women than we've ever seen before. Wow. So, and then the, this last portion um, is the Hope Center. And the Hope Center is our recovery facility for women. And it's, again, free and um, encompasses everything from literacy to GED to Hmm. Christianity 101. Michael, perhaps we can uh, turn this in our last couple of minutes here to, uh, you know, we we have listeners in the Nashville area that we certainly want them to get involved with the Nashville Rescue Mission, volunteers, giving and so on. But we've got listeners scattered around the country as well. So let's talk about what we can do where we live. Yeah. First, I want you guys to tell tell me uh, or repeat for the listeners what I think, Curry, you told me. What percent of your support comes from churches? Six percent right now. Now I was uh, just You're shocked. Aren't I you? was shocked by that because mm-hmm. uh, uh, I immediately wanted to find some way to get the word out to the churches, uh, not just in Nashville, but like you say, Wayne, all over the country. Why should churches consider this, Curry? That's what we're about. Uh, that's what we're supposed to be about. <laughs> I mean, 
the commission to go out, the Bible. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Jesus, God, it's, it's there. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and not just financially, if I could add, yeah. uh, my dream would be to see churches and the communities get involved with the men and the women to bridge the time that they're in their treatment yeah. to when they leave. It's more right. important than just throwing money at it and say, you exactly. guys take care of it, right? Right. Well, these guys, they've got to have a place to come to, uh, to be accountable to. And, you know, if we don't do it, then they're going to get involved in other groups that, that are not Christian in, in any stretch of the means. Mm-hmm. So if only 6% comes from churches, Justin, where does the rest come from? Um, 78% comes from individuals, people like you and I who send in our $100 or $20, $500. Um, and the rest of it comes from a, a mix of um, private foundations and local businesses and corporations. The overwhelming majority comes in via the mail. And I know a lot, anybody who lives in Nashville right now, you've gotten a piece of mail from the rescue mission. Um, and, and that's that's our primary means of fundraising. Huh. So if you got that, um, pray about it. Open it yeah. up. Instead of just looking at it as another piece of mail that comes yeah. in, take it very seriously. Yeah. Well, what about people who are living in, I don't know, Petoskey, Michigan, listening to us right now? What do they do? I think that a great place to start is if you have Internet access, go to um, agrm.org, which is um, the rescue mission in Nashville is a part of a larger association called the Association of Gospel Rescue Missions. And on that website, you can literally click on your state and it'll tell you what rescue missions are in your area. Let's repeat that now. Then we'll put a link to it on your site, Michael. Okay. Okay. It's agrm.org. And locally in Nashville, you can go to nashvillerescuemission.org. And Curry said a lot of the homeless guys have discovered that w- when they're on the road, they can go into the library, get access to the Internet, and that, that's how they exactly. find their way to the and mission. They can find that's the right. missions. Yeah. Through the public library. Isn't that interesting yeah. as well? Well, we will place links to those at michaelcard.com yeah. uh, so our listeners can find those easily. But uh, volunteers in their own communities, uh, can families come together and do something uh, together? Yes. Uh, that is that's the, the most awesome part is, yeah, there's so much that can be done. We have entire families that come that serve meals and, and get out and interact with the men and the women. And, and we go back to where we started. I mean, it's, it's a benefit to both, mm. you know? Yeah. Well, I think we often think of these things just at the holiday time instead of the rest of the year altogether. And regardless of the time of year, the need is the same, right? Uh, mm. 24-7. Absolutely. Um, people, uh, you know, it really only costs on average a dollar eighty-four to feed a homeless person a meal, um, and that meal so often, like we were talking about earlier with Nathaniel Miles, who felt like he knew Jesus as he was one of the five thousand being fed. Mm-hmm. That meal only cost a dollar eighty-four, mm-hmm. but his life was changed. And when when I'm sad to say, when he died in a car accident about three months ago, and he mm-hmm. was a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, he knew the Lord. Mm-hmm. He really knew the Lord when he died. But if he had died two years ago, he wouldn't have known Christ. Mm-hmm. And that, that one meal was the start. Was the turnaround. That mm-hmm. was it. And it only cost $1.84. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. So get involved. Mm-hmm. Well, man, thanks for coming. And uh, look forward to uh, you coming back and keeping us updated on what's going on at the Nashville Rescue Mission. God Thank bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Michael, given what we've talked about here for the past few minutes, I think a good song to stop and listen to right now from you here in the studio is called Distressing Disguise, if you'll sing that for us. told to 
Michael, that song is called Distressing Disguise. Well, we always enjoy hearing from listeners, mm-hmm. and we give the email address often on the program in the studio at michaelcard.com. Here's a listener named Michael who mm-hmm. sent us a rather lengthy note. I wish I could have the time to read the whole thing, but I'll just uh, read some of the more pertinent points he makes. He grew up in an evangelical Pentecostal movement, the son of a godly woman who trusted the Lord when she was widowed and she was left to raise a family on her own and did a great job. And Michael says in his mid-teens, he sensed God's call and taking that as call to the ministry, he went off to Bible school, he married, began a family, and then some years later fell into terrible sin. Mm. And it goes on to explain uh, the Lord bringing him back out of that entire lifestyle. And then he, he talks about hearing our broadcast recently. And he says, your song, The Basin and the Towel, which I heard for the first time on tonight's broadcast, uh, is an example of what I'm talking about. As evangelical people, we are often so taken up in our preaching or whatever form our ministry takes us that we're too busy to even notice the practical service that we could render to someone in need. Mm. And I think that's a very important point. I do. And and uh, and, and first of all, I, I want to thank uh, Michael for writing to us. I mean, you know, you can, I'm sure you'll agree, Wayne, that we need encouragement in mm-hmm. doing this. And mm-hmm. I get a lot of encouragement from uh, those kinds of letters and emails. It's nice to know that what we do makes a difference in people's lives as we yeah. talk about the Word and and, yeah. and its guidance for our life. Yeah. Know? Well, it sounds to me like he what he discovered was that uh, that ministry is, is uh, much broader than we uh, narrowly define it, mm-hmm. um, that, that ministry is uh, washing feet. It is the cup of cold water in the night. It can be the touch on the shoulder. It can be you know, um, uh, the smallest of things. In fact, that Mother Teresa used to tell people, go do something small 
for God mm-hmm. and uh, how God is revealed in the small things. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think there are probably a lot of people who, who initially began, I know I probably did as well, with this sort of a grandiose vision for changing the world. And then the farther down the road I got, I realized if I can wash a few feet and if I can encourage a few people, uh, that'll be enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it has to be enough because I think that's what we're called to. Well, if Michael is listening, he'll probably be pleased that you uh, sang the song you just sang yeah. because uh, he talks about distressing disguise. He says, it says so much, we rob our brothers by all that we own. Yeah. He says, what truly inspired words, the more we possess, the more we are possessed. But when we give, this is the way he puts it, when we give, we make deposits in the first bank of heaven, uh-huh. and there's never been a robbery there. Uh, <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's a biblical way of putting it, you know, yeah. store up for yourself treasures, uh, not on earth where moth you know, rust corrupts and all that sort of thing. So that's a that's a, an interesting paraphrase of that idea. Mm-hmm. But as you said a few moments ago, for listeners who are touched in some way by what they hear in the broadcast, I think it, it really completes a circle for us to hear back uh, what those stories are, what the impact is. Yeah, it, it really is. And realizing that I don't want to uh, say... You know, we are a community over the radio in the same sense as a genuine community, sure. you know, where we walk and talk with each other every day. But in, in another more specialized way, we we are a community. We try to reflect how that happens. Yeah. And we, we try to let the listeners in in uh, in on sort of what the community and what's happening here and, and the relationships that are so important to us. And uh, when we can get back some uh, some encouraging uh, emails and some uh, letters like that, that'd be great. Because we're not we're not asking for money. We're not asking. You know, we're not uh, beating that drum all the time. So if uh, if if this program has encouraged you, if you want to pay us back, mm-hmm. pray for us. Pray for strength. I mean, this afternoon we're recording, and we just pray that we're tired mm-hmm. and we needed help. So, you know, pray that we, we would be given the strength to do it. And then mm-hmm. if you'd write us a note to encourage us and let us know what's helping, and even if you want to gently know, gently let us know what you don't like and what's not helping, speak the truth <laughs> in <gentle>. love. <laughs> speak the truth in love. But help us to know if there's some, some subjects that— you know, you you want to hear that we haven't done. We want your input. Absolutely. Yeah. We uh, I see quite a bit of email that comes to various radio, radio programs. Uh-huh. I appreciate the email that comes to this program mm. because people aren't content to send just two or three lines typically to say, yeah. "Oh, your ministry's wonderful. Thank you." Yeah. They they are really wrestling with these issues, and I I like that about what these emails reveal to us. Yeah. Well, I I hope that we're speaking uh, maybe to a different group of people than uh, a lot of the other radio shows are speaking to because you know they're obviously they're speaking to them so let's let's find the group of people that we can impact and once again those of you who are listening uh, we want to ask you to pray for us pray for joe as uh, joe prepares uh, the program does all the all the hard work beforehand. It's our producer Joe Carlson. Joe Carlson, uh, pray for traveling uh, mercies as as Wayne and Joe fly down here from Chicago. Uh, this is not the best time in the world to be flying around on airplanes. <laughs> and uh, pray for Kenny as he uh, helps uh, get all the technical. Uh, apparatus, all of the digital recorders and mics. Uh, pray for Sam. Sam is a dear brother who's, a great help to us. who's just here as a servant to help us and encourage us. And, and I'll be so bold as to say, pray for me. Pray especially for strength for me. Uh, that's, that's my request, my prayer request. And send us your prayer request. We'll pray for you. 
Yes, we hope you will get in touch with us. You can email your comments, Bible questions, and prayer requests to studio at michaelcard.com. If you'd like to go back and listen to today's broadcast again, then go to the program archives on our radio page. It can be found at www.michaelcard.com. And we hope that you'll come explore the great resources available for you. One is the special offer for those interested in Michael's new CD, A Fragile Stone. Learn about this and see a complete listing of Michael's helpful books and other music CDs when you stop by michaelcard.com. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Carr. In the studio with Michael Carr is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.